0: This is Femi Kuti, and you are listening to NYC Radio Live.
1: All right, how you doing, folks? This is NYC Radio Live. David Ellenbogen here. Great to be with you. This is an exciting show for a couple reasons. One, we got a new producer on board, Ashley Lehman. So that's exciting to um, co-create. With her, we're going to take things to the next level. And uh, she's an amazing uh, musician. You'll learn more about her. And today's show is with Umar Paracha of the band Falsa. And I met Umar many years ago at a jam session. And we ended up jamming on uh, some music from Nusrat Fateh Ali Khan, who we'll talk about a little bit you'll hear this band is unbelievable uh, really taking kind of Sufi music into a really fresh new direction and Umer and I just got back in touch after all these years and the great news was he was available with the band Falsa to play the Ragas Live Festival October 6th at Pioneer Works 2018 so that's great plenty of time to get ready and see the band there along with 23 hours of other <laughs> music quite an undertaking so anyway check out the music and after that we'll we'll have a nice intimate hang and hear some more tunes from falsa and hang out right here at my house with umar paracha here's the band falsa um. Listen to NYC Radio Live. David Ellenbogen here with Umar Paracha from the band Falsa. How's it going, man? Great. <laughs> All right. Good to hang with you.
2: Yeah, you too. You too. Man.
1: So I guess we're starting to get your story a little bit. You're born in Pakistan?
2: Yeah, yeah. Born and raised in Pakistan. I uh, was there until I was 18. Then basically uh, moved to the U.S. to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, for a liberal arts education at Franklin and Marshall. So that was in 2001. Oh, I'm sorry, 2003, 2003. Yeah, it's been long enough that, yeah.
1: Nice. And and with your family, the the music thing was already something... Going on?
2: Yes. Uh, well, we didn't call it music at the time. It was just uh, that when I was three or four years old, my mother thought that I had a singing voice, and that uh, sacred chanting would be something that the family could really, uh, you know, have. And also, the schools that I went to, or the day would begin with a sacred chant. So I had uh, somebody come to the house and train me in chanting for that purpose but we didn't call him a musical instructor we just called him a chanting teacher uh-huh. and right? this
1: was sufi music or the
2: chanting itself uh was just like uh you know some uh um, verses from the quran that mm-hmm. that you know we memorized sufism is i think much more applicable uh in terms of a secular context okay. right but it's the the style of singing is the same so back then it was more seen as religious chanting, like devotional chanting. Uh-huh. Right. Just to um, and we didn't know we didn't like Hebrew chanting in some ways. Uh We actually didn't know what we were saying because we don't speak Arabic. But it was more the the musical aspect of it, the tonal aspect of it that was transportive in its effect. Uh So to begin the day with it or to chant it in the house would create this sort of peacefulness. And it's that quality of singing that when deployed in uh, Sufi music, Uh, regardless of context, whether it's religious or secular, it seems to have the same effect. Right. Yeah.
1: So you're under the tutelage of of this guy. And is it kind of, to our ears, is it the ornamentations are similar to what we would hear in Indian classical music? Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, an emphasis on proper pronunciation. Of course, this was Arabic, Mm -hmm. uh, but that etiquette of... Pronouncing and emphasizing the right syllables, but also being able to use the voice properly as one would and breathe properly as one would in order to try to sing Indian classical music. all of that I learned from from this teacher, yes, yeah,
1: yeah. and my understanding is the similarities between koali music and Indian classical music and the other related musics it's like. It all dates back to folk music, is that correct, kind of? Or is that is that like where, where all these rivers kind of flow from?
2: Yeah, we, uh, uh, you know, just from the masters of the Kowali tradition that I listen to, like Nusrat Fateh Khan or Abda Parveen, you know, who's still very much just uh, performing and thriving right. in Pakistan, um, they... Uh, trace a lot of the very prolific works to the 14th century to a particular Sufi order uh, called uh, Chishti order. And I don't necessarily know how that fits into the history of the development of Indian classical music. Mm -hmm. But I know that uh, Amir Khusro, who was a court musician in the 14th century, did a lot to move tabla and sitar forward and then composed music that was technically brilliant and emotionally just very rich. Also, he happened to be part of a Sufi order which impacted him greatly and made him compose these songs of incredible beauty. Uh, but obviously, he was a court musician in the in, in the you know orthodox sort of like royal strain of performers because of his technical brilliance and mastery and his rootedness in the Indian classical tradition. So I'm not sure at what point like the two you know uh, I, to me it seems that you actually cannot. Uh, do the kind of improvisation or the kind of like emotional effect that a Sufi performance requires unless you are also rooted into uh, the technicality of Indian classical music so I think that comes first always right yeah
1: okay so you're there you're in Pakistan and you're singing this kind of devotional music for the family and then was there more tutelage or that that was it?
2: That went on for 16 years, uh-huh. you know, that same person okay. and uh, came to the house every day for the first 16 years of my life. Actually longer, right? Because, well, there was a period where I uh, moved to a boarding school for two years. So I left my hometown. And so then it wasn't daily anymore. That uh, training and the visit from him because I was in a boarding school at that point for two years before I moved to the U S uh, the purpose of going to this boarding school was to actually try to see if I can study abroad. Right. But yeah, for 16 years of my life, it was daily. And then, uh, you know, much less frequently during those two years, I, it would happen whenever I would visit home.
1: Wow. And he, uh, is that typical, a, a daily teacher? Is that- uh,
2: well, uh, to for someone to come to the house and instruct you into how to, in religious practices or the cultural rituals, yeah, fairly typical. Yeah. I mean, I'm from a city called Multan, and it's a city of 5 million people, but I think we belong to more of the middle class, the upper middle class urban population and because pakistan is very agricultural so I, I can't really speak for like a big majority of that city sure. but i think in the in our in this shared ethos of like urban living it was fairly typical to have somebody come and basically try to connect you with like the shared religious fabric of the society right. that we live in so yeah that makes sense
1: and what kind of work did your parents do?
2: My father is a doctor Uh and my mother didn't work. She was, well, I mean, she had the harder job of like raising us. Yeah. How many of you? Uh, Four of us. Yeah. So I'm the oldest. I have two brothers and a sister. Uh, And yeah.
1: Okay. So the prep school goes well enough that you're ready You went straight to college or you went to high school in the United States?
2: Yeah, yeah. The standard of education was uh, very high uh, because my parents chose to send us to uh, some of the best schools. They were uh, inspired by uh, the British model of education and always sought to emulate uh, a certain trajectory of uh, work so that we could then sit for uh, British examinations O level and A level, which is your you know junior high school and senior high school, and those those are recognized around the world. So I, so I had so I went to schools where English was the medium of instruction.
1: And you guys wore suits and ties?
2: Yeah 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 yeah. It's like uh, yeah blazers and yeah <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah right. yeah yeah sure.
1: Cool. So you get to uh, Pennsylvania?
2: Yeah, yeah. So my the boarding school that I mentioned, that I went to for two years. Uh, it's one of the best schools in Pakistan. Uh, so they have good relationships with... Uh, uh, you know, schools abroad who who look looking to hire or admit international students from Pakistan. Right. They go to a couple different schools yeah. in Pakistan to do that. And that was one of those schools. So Franklin and Marshall had a good relationship with the guidance and counseling mm-hmm. part of my boarding school. So, yeah. And and that's in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Yes.
1: And the, the students who are fine when you got to america the student body you had it was fine to come here what well, you didn't deal with a lot of uh, uh small mindedness oh america, no no no
2: not at all not at all i i mean franklin and marshall is well first of all i mean it's it's f- set up and funded such that it promotes the very values of like acceptance and diversity right uh, so it was, a, I mean, in, in a sense, it was a little bit, it, it was an incredible preparation, but it was also a bit of a bubble as colleges go. Uh, but, but yeah, no, I, it was like a very, uh, um just very thoughtfully curated four walls of safety for anybody coming in wow yeah yeah nice. yeah in fact i think that i had more of a culture shock when i went to the a board, the boarding school within pakistan like i think it I, I, leaving my home to go to this school where there were uh, pakistanis of different ethnicities from all corners was more of a culture shock for me wow. uh than it was to come here and, you know, it prepared me, I think, that boarding experience, like, for something that was going to be different. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And uh, any music in college? Yeah, yeah. So, I
2: I mean, I'd picked up the guitar uh, when I was in sixth grade, maybe, back, still back in um, my hometown, right? Uh, and continued to play and, and, you know, in boarding school, like in the hostel, it was just like a... Uh, people would just gather around and I was in some music competitions in school and I just carried that with me. I was playing all sorts of covers, you know, uh, maybe some Pakistani pop artists, but also some Radiohead. Uh, and And then in college, I just like played a lot of guitar and then started to sing a lot more with guitar right and then b- became better at guitar so as to accompany my singing a little bit better so for a long time it was just a singer songwriter thing that was doing right. yeah 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 but at the same time in college like i found my way back to um uh, sufi music because my uh, friends who were also from pakistan who had had a very similar experience we would just get together and make pakistani food and listen to nusrat fatali khan a lot mm. because that that was our way to connect with what we believed was the best of Pakistan. Yeah, I mean, I, I really just very passionately think that there's nothing better. Like Nusrat Fateh Ali Khan and his music is, I think, the best thing that ever happened. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. It was the world, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah.
1: Yeah, I had a mystical experience with Nusrat Fatih Ali Khan's music. Um, the day he died, we were having, the radio station WKCR where I work, we were having a South Asian music festival, so they just extended it a day, and they played for 24 hours, just music of Nusraf Ali Khan. Wow. And the phones were all lit up, and, uh, you know, every time you answered, someone was saying, thank you, thank you. every People are going crazy. Every cab driver, every Pakistani driver. <laughs> yeah, every <everybody's yeah>. <laughs> in the city, you know? Right. And um, I picked up, and somebody was unhappy. And I was like, I think... Still, uh, undergrad in college, I just I just went to. I took summer classes at the university just so I could get onto the radio station. So I said, um, uh, "Hold on, you know, like I, I was trying to figure out why someone could be upset." And I put them on, and it was his family actually. Really, from and, Faisalabad? Wow. And well, no, some some that were in New York. Oh, I see. I see. Uh, okay. Some relatives in New York. And they were upset because we just had someone from the Pakistani newspaper and we had some random people and they said that we should be on the radio. So Mm. his family came to the station and I spent the the day he died, I was with his family for hours and hours just listening to record after record.
2: Incredible. Yeah,
1: it was really powerful. And I actually had never heard his music until that point. So I was like, who is this guy? And I just (laughs) sat there quietly and didn't, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say any condolences. Just you know, tried to be as respectful as I could, and just absorbed it. Sure. I was like, wow, wow, this is, this is something.
2: Yeah, I can't imagine a better way to commemorate him on the day he died. Yeah, just listen was, to his music in silence. Yeah, it was really yeah. powerful. Yeah, yeah.
1: So you connected with the Sufi music, the the associated spirituality, kind of come into play as well like uh, yeah absolutely
2: Mm -hmm. yeah it wasn't just about maybe a sense of nostalgia you know much like the sort of Rumi's poetry that Mm -hmm. splits you open right when you read it like it's like that Mm
1: -hmm. you can't
2: not be affected by it it's uh, so powerful even if you don't understand what the language that he's singing in but I do, right? Like right. I, these are my mother tongues, Punjabi and Urdu. And he sings a little bit in Farsi, which I don't speak, but, you know, in the context I can understand what he's saying because Urdu came, uh, like Urdu is very heavily influenced by Farsi, Persian. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the way spirituality travels through these languages is through the less analytical, less descriptive, but but more emotional uh, and nuanced nature of the way these languages are spoken. So you take that and then combine them with the melodies of uh, the Sufi tradition and the effect is powerful. It just sort of, it, it it's a deep cut, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The original deep cut. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you're, you're uh, getting involved with that music and you're starting to hear it but you're still at this point when when did you take the leap to incorporating this into your performance
2: this was maybe about 3 years ago from
1: yeah from oh, today really?
2: yeah this was much more recent than than you might think but the musicians that i play with now i've been playing with some of them for a lot longer than that mm-hmm. it's just that we experimented a lot we played like you know some pop music before or some original singer songwriter mm-hmm. accompanying each other and it wasn't until I shared some of this music and then I sang some of it only to realize that my training from childhood in chanting translates to actually being able to sing Sufi music. Mm. But it doesn't just translate. It, it works, you know, it works in a way that inspired a certain recognition in the musicians I was collaborating with that we weren't going to beat this. No matter what we do, it was if we're working together, like we should devote all of our energies to mm-hmm. doing this because this is probably the best we'll ever be able to do together. Right. It's just a, it's an sort of infinite ocean, and it demands a lot of like service to the craft from you, and it keeps you in this sort of urgent mode to better yourself constantly, right? Whereas a lot of the music that we were doing before was more about like, you know, expressing ourselves and mm. And what it means to us and things we had written personally, this is different. This demands um more that you uh serve a craft and immerse yourself in it mm. and so So the self is still at the center, but the purpose for it, what that self needs to do is different and it just it was just immediately clear to all of us that there's a certain power here. And a certain like um, ability to communicate with each other as musicians on a level that we have haven't come close to wow. before well let, yeah. let's
1: hear something what's a track we should listen to?
2: uh we can listen to maybe ajranghe okay yeah that's uh that's on the that's on the album okay we're, so we're almost done with it yeah.
1: Anything we should know about this song before we go? Oh, take yeah, 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 yeah,
2: sure, sure. So, Aaj means today, Rang means color, hair is, is today there is color. So, this was written by Umir, Amir Khusro, the prolific composer mm-hmm. that I was talking about in the 14th century. And basically, the idea of today, today there being color is juxtaposed against the idea that before today there was darkness and bleakness. Uh, so, today there is color again. It has come back, and the reason for that is that the person, that uh, a person that you love uh, so much, or, or or a teacher whose guidance you cannot do without, uh, was separated from you, and now they're back in your life. The philosophically it's like a bit of a contrast to say the modern nihilism which is where you just choose your experiences but you don't necessarily have an overwhelming motivation to stick with one thing over another because that's the thing of freedom that we talk about but this is more the idea that there are certain things that are unacceptable like the, the so this person's absence is unacceptable you can't mm-hmm. medicate against i mean medicate it you can't cope with it it's not, it's something that you cannot you actually have to solve and the only thing that will solve it is this person's return mm. so this the song just talks about how that person's return uh, fills you with this overwhelming feeling that assumes a certain color and the color is the sort of like the glow of the rising sun wow yeah all right let's check
1: yeah. it out
3: i तो जब देखूं
1: Beautiful man. Wow. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Has a really uh, fresh, fresh feeling.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The instrumentation, um, a lot of it has to do with, you know, just how the musicians, Tom, Paul, Adam, Greg, Siddharth, they worked out the arrangement amongst themselves. These are people I love and respect dearly, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, but at the same time, in the what I'm singing is something uh, they don't have a background in, so they're coming at it with their souls and right. their their abilities as musicians, just the, uh, naturally being able to connect with it in in a deep way, but then making something new out of it at the same time. And this was written in the 14th century, but we obviously don't perform it in that style.
1: Right. Yeah. That guy Kusar, he came up with some really fundamental things, right? Like in part of how the sitar is made or something or sure. Alapjur and Jala or something. something, something yeah. Like that. Yeah. All that yeah. Stuff, yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 Exactly. Like the guy.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that he was so prolific and he did so much that I feel uh, inadequate, even in talking about, right. uh, about him in that respect, so just, so I don't get something wrong, you know, sure. because I'm not a historian of music, yeah. but I, I, yeah, I think that I would like he did a to, ton of stuff. he he did a yeah. lot. Yeah. Yeah. He's cre- sometimes credited with like inventing the tabla and sitar, but mm-hmm. I don't know how factually like true that is sure. or, you know, or what aspect of it he actually invented, but, but I, I know that he, he's definitely a pioneer in multiple mm-hmm. things.
1: Yeah. So uh, before we, uh, start recording, you're you're telling me a little bit about how this band is being received. Sounds like people are going uh, pretty crazy over this stuff,
2: right? (laughs) Well, uh, I think that um, if I may say so myself, it's mostly uh, based on the conversations that I have after these performances with the people, which means that first of all, people stay. They don't leave. They stay to talk. (laughs) to talk about what they felt and what they experienced, which is so generous of them. But most of the things that people say, it's not the language of positive feedback. It's the language of inspiration, empowerment, of transformation, which is just something that is incredible to get back from the audiences, right? It means that we have to take our ability as musicians to do justice to this craft, more seriously than anything we've ever taken seriously right mm-hmm. um because you just i mean i can't think of any other area in life where i get that from people
1: yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that's a rare one so. yeah yeah
2: yeah yeah
1: cool so any um do you have a a road map for what the plan is or you just kind of making music and, and letting letting the music guide you kind of
2: well uh we're mainly uh just Managing all aspects of performance and, um, you know, letting people know about the shows ourselves at the moment. Mm -hmm. I think in Philadelphia, we've been performing a lot more frequently than any other city because I met a lot of the musicians while they were still in Philly. Mm -hmm. But Tom just moved to Hudson Valley and I come up to New York anyways because of, you know, just loved ones that are here. I, I New York is a special place right like I just feel like this is the place to be for this kind of for yeah. this kind of um interaction with the audiences so I think like much more immediately I'd like to just focus on performing in New York as much as possible
1: mm. for to me like this kind of music it I wish there's a better word than fusion but um you know when when different cultural influences are making into the music the stuff I'm hearing from the Indian subcontinent, you know, the Coke Studios stuff. I'm not hearing, maybe it's the stuff that's not making it to me, Mm -hmm. but I'm not hearing stuff that is as organic as the stuff that I'm hearing coming out of, like, with your band or some of the stuff I'm hearing coming out of Brooklyn, you know, where there's something um, more spontaneous, more... um, What's the word when you're like allow yourself the the potential to be like hurt or something like that? Um, you know, the more like um, yeah, yeah, just more open, I suppose. But I, I are yeah. you, you, you are you feeling? Yeah, no, I that? understand. I no. understand what you're saying. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, I understand what you're saying. It it's not um, as uh, mechanized. Mm-hmm. It's it's much more. I guess organic is a good word for it. Yeah. But at the same time, it's uh, it's rooted in something, but it's much more. Uh, about the moment and the spontaneity of the moment it's a risk every time right. we perform we take a risk uh, we allow ourselves to go to a place which is emotionally uh, which has an effect on us as well as uh, the audiences yes right. absolutely uh, it's got that my <laughs> my drummer calls it uh, it's almost like if you Uh, think of jazz but for shamans or something which is which got a good laugh during one of our rehearsals Mm -hmm. but uh to back to your point about you know just talking about coke studio of course the artists that work with coke studio i have immense respect for them sure. but i think that what you said about the overall just by design nature of the content that comes out of there my youngest brother and his friends said the same thing when i played falsa for mm-hmm. them when i was visiting pakistan right they yeah. were basically like this has some there is something else going on here that we're not hearing on tv or on the radio right yeah
1: and it might have to do with Obviously, an intention. You know, like some of the stuff is meant to be palatable to a mass market that is used. Yeah, to, it's supposed to sound great on sound systems made for dance clubs and sure, and, sure, sure. And this yeah. kind of thing, you know. So there, there's must there are probably other reasons why, you know, you you guys. It doesn't seem like the point is to be the next Britney Spears. It's, it's something
2: else. <laughs> no, 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 I, I mean, all of us, like, you know, I think the musicians I work with are geniuses in their own way. They also are very prolific writers, and they I can hold a conversation that is philosophically rich. For us, this music is about culture itself about making some kind of a cultural contribution. One of my friends who's an anthropologist calls it like, you know, maybe like doing so well in this particular craft that it creates like a rupture in people's understanding of being itself, Mm. you know, what it means to be together as people, as a human being. This is is an effort to actually add or enrich the vocabulary around what those experiences could actually look like. Right. And so that is another way of saying that this should best be experienced live for sure. And so, for our uh, our honest, sincere challenge, is how to communicate that, you know, what happens between performers and audience in a recorded format. And Tom has taken the lead on that and he's done so well. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, that sort of sense of organicness, I think, comes through on the album. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I feel like what, what you're talking about. It sounds like risk is actually a very important ingredient yeah. in making this work.
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, just, you know, I think you can't really call it fusion either because really you have five musicians or six musicians, you know, it's improvisational, so people come in and out from very different musical backgrounds, right? There's a Carnatic and then I'm singing Sufi music, and tom has like a background in you know rock and dream pop mm-hmm. Paul has played like a lot of like Hindustani classical and klezmer music on his Spanish guitar for the longest time he hasn't played in a band in 15 years but he was just honing his craft alone until I asked him that he must play in falsa yeah it's just um, it's all of it is just a a risk but it's a risk based on it's a calculated risk because it's based on the connection that the musicians feel to each other and to this art form it's Mm -hmm. not based on the kind of on paper calculation where you say okay this is east and this is west let's put these together these are we are really good friends and we have been for years right like and we would rather play with each other than other people that's it's like a very very it's not optional and just we take it very very seriously (laughs) yeah yeah yeah.
1: well it's exciting yeah yeah. it'll be fun to uh See you guys uh, connect with more and more people. I'm really excited that you're coming to Ragas Live Festival. I think it's gonna oh, be oh yeah a great, yeah that
2: thank you so much for hosting us yeah yeah. yeah 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 then that, that that's really really exciting oh uh, yeah
1: cool so let's take a listen to something to close out what, what should we listen to
2: uh, sure maybe we can listen to the first track on the album which would be Mankunto Mala okay yeah yeah
1: all right well thanks for your time good hanging with you thank you David thank you so much and we'll see yeah. you in October great great right. see you then peace.
2: David. Hi. Uh-huh.
3: If